Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write us a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe. I hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on the Tetch Grammaton, but I wanted to take a different angle and discuss its significance in relation to a, a, a famous legend, which is the story of the Golem. The Golem story is really a story that revolves around the creation of a being made of clay um, using various different permutations traditionally of the Tetch Grammaton. And I wanted to just discuss this in terms of some of the sort of Kabbalistic symbolism and some of the kind of inner aspects of this particular story because it's very interesting. So what is a golem? So a golem is it's really a, it's really an artificial um, anthropoid or almost like an early artificial intelligence. And these form a very big part of early magical and mystical practices. We have many different stories about these miraculous beings, whether it's Pygmalion's statue, the experiments of the alchemist Paracelsus, Shelley's Frankenstein, or even you get the story of Pinocchio. Some scholars have also suggested in modern times that it's from stories of these that we do get and we develop and we have this kind of urge and desire to develop artificial intelligence. Although we will not be doing an exhaustive study in this episode, before we get into what a golem is, I wanted to bring up a few examples of these beings created by man. And some of these are simply automaton, but others, as we shall see, are speaking statues and gods that are indwelling within physical beings. If we look at ancient Egypt, for example... They have found many different small figurines, usually made of wax or clay, that were called Ushabti, which has been translated as Answerer. And these statues were often placed into coffins where they were thought to be capable of answering and performing menial tasks for the gods instead of the dead. And these can really be considered living statues. They also had magical spells written onto their torsos. Also, in the Greek and the Roman traditions, um, there is also this idea of these automatons, these kind of beings. For example, Phaedrus' fable on Prometheus and Dolus, entitled De Veritas et Mendacio, is also a really good example. This shows how this theme may have been important in Rome and probably ancient Greece as well. And I quote... Once upon a time, Prometheus, creator of a new era, had with meticulous care moulded the figure of Veritas, for it to be able to dispense justice among humankind. Suddenly, called away by a messenger of the great Jupiter, he relinquished his workshop to Devious Dolus, whom he had recently accepted as an apprentice. The latter, burning with zeal, with crafty hand, while there was time, created an effigy of the same appearance, the same stature, equal also with regard to every limb. 
As he had almost already finished this marvellous work, he ran out of clay to craft the feet. The master came back, whence Dollis, struck with fear, rushed to sit down in his place. Prometheus, in admiration of such similarity, wanted the glory of his work to be seen. Thus he put both statues in the kiln simultaneously. Once they were fired and had breath, life breath breathed into them, venerable Veritas walked with measured gaits, but the handicapped copy was stuck in her step. Then the false image and result of stolen work was called mendacium, falsehood. And I readily agree myself with those who claim that falsehood lacks feet. False copies every now and then can be to the credit of humankind. At first, but with time, truth herself will appear nonetheless. And that's a quote from um, Phaedrus uh, de Veritas et Mandaccio. Apologies for my pronunciation. Um, another example of this idea of this uh, anthropoid, this kind of being created by man, is that's also similar to the Jewish tradition, is the legend relating to the magician Simon Magus um, that was described in the text Clementine Recognitionis, which dates from the 3rd or the 4th century uh, and was purported to have been written by Pope Clementine. And in this text, he discusses the adventures of the Apostle Peter and also in particular his dealings with the pagan priest Simon Magus. In this text, it's really interesting, the magician Simon Magus, which we'll probably do an episode on, he's reported as boasting that he can render statues amenated so that those who see them suppose they are men. And the text provides a really interesting story of Simon creating a boy from out of the air. And I quote, Once upon a time, I, by my power, turning air into water and water again into blood and solidifying it into flesh, formed a new human creature, a boy, and produced much nobler work than God the Creator. For he created a man from the earth, but I from air, a far more difficult matter, and again I unmade him and restored him into air. But not until I had placed his picture and image in my bedchamber as a proof and memorial of my work. All of these stories have one thing in common, however, and that is mankind's incessant obsession, desire, lust to create a living creature like ourselves, reacting as gods and creating a being like ourselves to perform tasks. And this is where we get this idea of the, the legend of the golem. So what is a golem then? So moving on from those discussions just about the Romans and Romans and Greeks, um, we'll talk about more about the legend of the Golem. Um, despite the word being popular, you know, through movies like Lord of the Rings, Golem is a word that actually originates in Jewish folklore and mythology, as describing an animated anthropomorphic being that is created from inanimate matter, usually through magical or mystical means, um, from clay or mud. The origins of the word itself are not clear, however it's most likely over 3,000 years old and makes its first appearance in the Bible. And it appears in the Bible in Psalm 139.16 which uses the word golmi 
um, or my golem, meaning my light form or raw material, which also has connections with the unfinished human being before God's eyes. My light form is interesting from the perspective of the the idea of the, the body of light as well, actually, if one thinks of that, um, then it's, there's quite a lot of parallels there. Later, the word the golem can also be found in the Talmud, where it's used to mean unshaped matter or unfinished creation. And sometimes, as in the text known as the ethics of the wise man, it is considered to be sort of the opposite of a wise man. Not until the Middle Ages did the word golem assume its current meaning of artificial man or creature of clay. If we read some of the old texts, the Talmud, San Sanhedrin 38b, um, describes how Adam was initially created as a golem. And I quote, The dust that served to form Adam, the first man, was gathered from the entire world, as it is stated, when I was made in secret and wrought in the lowest places of the earth, your eyes did see my unshaped flesh. The great scholar Gershom Sholem, um, who's worth reading, wrote the following description of a golem, which I think is also really enlightening. The golem is a creature, particularly a human being, made in an artificial way by the virtue of a magic art through the use of holy names. The idea that it is possible to create living beings in this manner is widespread in magic of many people. Especially well known are the idols and images to which ancients claim to have given the power of speech. Among the Greeks and the Arabs, these activities are sometimes connected with astrological speculations related to the possibility of drawing the spirituality of the stars to lower being. The development of the idea of the golem in Judaism, however, is remote from astrology. It is connected, rather, with the magical exegesis of the Sefer Yetzirah and with the ideas of the creative power of speech and of letters. And we've obviously mentioned the Sefer Yetzirah quite a bit um, in previous episodes, but it's this very mystical text, one of the earliest um, books of the Kabbalah, um, really which which describes this creation this creative process through using different permutations of the tetragrammaton um in regards to stories about the golem as we said there's a lot of different stories about the golem uh, the most famous one which probably most of you have heard of is the one about um judah lu ben Be bezal who was a famous ra rabbi from the 16th century from prague um, also known as Rabbi Lowe. And there's lots of different variations on this story um, about how it was brought to life um, and the tasks it did and also how it was controlled. And we also see similar, similar stories of the golems being written about from the Middle Ages onwards, always with this theme that they are created out of dust or dirt, normally by a holy person, a priest or a sage or a magician or someone close to divinity. Another common theme is that early on, the main disability that we see with the golem is that he's not able to speak. So he's very strong. Uh, they'll be able to perform tasks, but they're not able to, spe to speak at all. Um, and for example, with regards to that, there's an interesting story about this regarding a Talmudic sage from Babylon, who was known as Rava, who was reputed to have made a golem that could not talk. 
Um, another story relates to Rabbi Abba ben Rav Hama from 299353 CE, who is meant to have been a wealthy merchant from the city of Mehosa, which was a city on the Tigris. Better known as Rava, he was on very close terms with the Persian royal household, apparently, and was also one of the central pillars of really this sort of Babylonian um, Talmudic learning and also a studying of the Sefer Yetzirah as well. As I mentioned, Sefer Yetzirah is this text that's meant to contain the secrets of the creation of the universe, and Rava is meant to have studied and meditated for three years with another rabbi who was known as Rabbi Zira. At the time, they were reported to have produced a calf, after which they say, the stories basically say they forgot how they did it. Um, Rava is also meant to have been more successful on his own, however, um, for we see it mentioned in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 65b. Um, we read that Rava created a man. Because of the combination of letters in the three-word sequence, some have argued that this might have been part of this formula that's from the Sefer Yitzhira that creates the golem. The, the Talmud also goes on to tell us that Rava created this man or golem and he sent him to a man named Rav Zira, who spoke to this creation but was not answered. And I quote, Rava created a man, a golem, using forces of sanctity. Rava sent his creation before Rabbi Zira. Rabbi Zira would speak to him, but he would not reply. Rabbi Zira said to him, you were created by one of the members of the group, one of the sages. Return to your dust. We also have another story of the Gollum from the Middle Ages, um, which is connected with the Spanish poet Solomon bin Gabirol. Um, and he's a beautiful poet from the 11th century Andalusian um, and a Jewish philosopher really in the Neoplatonic tradition. And he wrote over 100 poems as well as lots of other texts on biblical exegesis, philosophy, ethics, satire and more. The Golem of Gabarol um, story recounts that Gabarol created a very rare female Golem made from wood that he brought to life with magic to serve as his companion. Um, obviously the locals in the town weren't too happy about this and um, they were quite angry apparently in the story. Uh, there was rumours that there was a romantic relationship going on between the two. So in order to save himself from punishment, Gabarol withdraws his magic and turns the golem back into a pile of wood. Which is yeah, it's a good story. Um, during the Middle Ages, we also get um, passages, stories where people, they tell about passages from the Sephiroth era were studied in depth as a means to create and animate a golem from clay. And it was thought by the sages and the, the holy people of the time that these beings can be made to come alive through specific and ritualized use of various permutations of the Hebrew alphabet to form a Shem, which is one of the names of God. This would then have been written on a piece of paper and placed into the mouth or the forehead of the clay figurine. And, and then that would be kind of the process of, of kind of bringing it to life. 
also the sometimes these holy words are meant to have actually been carved onto the actual figures themselves um, for example in the Golem of Prague and the Golem of Chelm one other story that I wanted to mention as well is in Sodai Ratzaya which is Eliza um, Judah of Worms which is a late 12th 13th century text where it says the following and there's different variations on this text but I just wanted to quote from this because it kind of tells a bit about the process the creature that you want to create with regard to each and every particular limb of it look inside and see what letter you must appoint to it and combine it as I shall instruct you and you must take virgin soil from underneath virgin earth and seed it here and there upon your holy temple in a state of purity. Purify yourself and form from this soil a golem which you want to create and imbue with the spirit of life. See what letter you must appoint to it and what proceeds from it. Do so also with the letters of the Tetragrammaton by which of means the world was created. Formulate an Atarakon and recite each of its letters with the vowels and that limb will be immediately be animated. So we have this idea of um, the virgin soil, then you've got this idea of purification and then there's also this aspect of almost like invocation using the, the sacred letters. In the legends of the Golem, there's different ways of bringing the clay creature to life. So the, the method that Rava is meant to have used is combinations of the letters of God's name are recited. As we mentioned, also inserting the divine name into the Golem's mouth or fixing it to its forehead with a piece of parchment. And this is used in the story of Rabbi Lowe. And in that case where the three-letter word emet, which means truth, is inserted. And emet is one of the... It's one of the lesser known um, names of God. So when the time comes to take away his spirit, so when you want to kind of deactivate the golem, the first letter, Aleph, is removed. And then that leaves only the other two letters, which mean the word death. So it's almost like a program. And it's interesting reading these stories because it does actually kind of operate very much in a similar way to how one would think about a kind of program that's running and then you, there's a command to stop it. So very interesting from that point of view. In all of the methods that we read about, however, the one key aspect of this God name or power is necessary and that no life can be infused without it. And that's very important from that aspect. It's not the, it's not the magician, it's not the priest who is doing it with his power. He is a conduit for that divine power flowing through. Um, and hence why there's this aspect of purification, because you cannot be soiled. You must become a pure vessel for that force to flow through. Um, the final story I wanted to talk about in this introduction is the story of the Golem of Prague, which is what we'll be focusing on in our next episode. This is probably the most famous story that you know people, most people probably heard of. There's lots of been lots of books, lots of movies about it as well. This is a legend of the Gollum that merged from the 16th century and is linked with Rabbi Lowe, who lived between 1525 and 1609. And he was one of the spiritual leaders of that community and was known as the Maharaj, 
which is an acronym for Maureen O'Harav Lowe. The interesting thing about the story is that um, none of Maharal's actual writings or of his contemporaries at the time mention this golem legend, apart from small tales about one being created to do housework and chop wood. The general origins of this story, um, therefore, are very kind of unclear, really, because there's lots of different variations of it that emerge in the 19th century um, with predominantly German uh, Jewish writers such as Berthold, Auerbach, Gustav Philipson, Franz Klutschak and others. However, there was one particular text that really put this story on the map. Um, In 1909, a book was published called The Niflos Maharaj, which stands for The Wondrous Deeds of the Maharaj of Prague with the Golem, um, by an author called Rabbi Udell Rosenberg, who lived between 1859 and 1935. And this was purported to be an eyewitness account by the Maharal's son-in-law who had helped create the Golem. Um, There's been a lot of debate about this text. The authenticity has been questioned a lot. Um, In the book, Rosenberg claims that he bought a copy of the manuscript that had been hidden in the Great Library of Metz for 300 years. And that had been written by the Maharaja's son-in-law, who was known as Rabbi Isaac Katz. Um, these days, a lot of scholars consider this work to be more fiction than um, have kind of a historical authenticity. Um, although some people do still believe it might be based on a, might be loosely based on a manuscript, or be you know possibly part of an oral tradition. In the story itself. It features Rabbi Lowe, um, also known as Maharaj, who is meant to have created a golem out of the clay from the banks of the Vlatava River using various rituals and incantations to defend the Prague ghetto from um, their enemies. The golem was meant to have been named Joseph and had magical powers, including um, the ability to turn himself invisible, also the ability to summon the dead. And the Rabbi Lowe was also meant to have been able to deactivate the golem on Friday evenings by removing the Shem um, before the Sabbath, so it's resting. Some of the stories also um, talk about that on Fridays, one Friday, Rabbi Lowe was meant to have forgotten to move the Shem. Um, and you know, the golem basically got out of control and went on the rampage across the city. Um, The story goes that the rabbi deactivated it after its work was done. However, the clay body is meant to have been kept in the attic of the old new synagogue in Prague in case it would be needed to be called upon again. And you can still go and visit the the actual synagogue where that is, um, although you can't go up into the attic where... um, where the the golem was meant to have been um, laid out, unfortunately. That concludes our introduction and background to the stories of the golem. In the next episode, I will be discussing the story of the creation of the golem that is recounted in the text. We've talked about the wondrous deeds of the Maharaj of Prague with the golem by Rabbi Udell Rosenberg. Although... 
we've seen this tax may not be 100% genuine. Um, it's an interesting story and it features quite a lot of interesting Kabbalistic symbolism that um, I think is worth discussing. So, um, and it gives you quite a lot of food for thought. So, um, we will be going through that text anyway. To finish this episode, I wanted to share a beautiful poem from the medieval poet Solomon bin Gabriel called Ahava, meaning love. For you, O living God, my being yearns. My spirit and soul is consumed by fire. Your Shekinah indwells the hearts of your chosen sons and fathers and your living creatures harnessed to chariots and as my heart is filled its radiance illumes from within the mystery wearies even the wisest who struggle to comprehend it weary of scanning the icon of splendour how then shall I nourish my soul at the temple of honour Desiring I long for my beloved, my aim and my purpose, my soul. Like sapphire, the house of understanding, the moon's semblance, fine gold of Ophir. And like a long lion, she made her home in the body secretly. She is my bliss and joy in sorrow, while chattering thoughts occlude my purpose. Can a guileless man praise her, and who could deny her perfect beauty? Answer, O God, be swift, for your daughter is sick with love. Drink, my daughter, gently drink, from the waters of my salvation, because you are my reverence. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Occult London Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to check out our website, occultlondon.co.uk and I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye.